Welcome to the Contracting Officer Podcast. It's not just for contracting officers. If you work anywhere in the government acquisition world, this podcast is for you. This episode is brought to you by Skyway Acquisition. Today's topic is scope creep, and I'm happy to welcome back Dave Bartlow to give us the program manager's perspective. Dave spent 15 years with the Department of the Navy and then transitioned to the industry side where he's worked for multiple large and small government contractors. I hope you enjoy the perspective he brings. Let's get started. Welcome back to the podcast, Dave. Thank you, Paul. It's a pleasure to be here. Let me set the stage for what we're going to talk about before we get going. Today, we're talking about what's probably a a daily dilemma for a project manager on the industry side. It's generally called scope creep. So this is when you have a contract that says, I'm going to do this, and you're requested or feel like you need to do something that's a little more than the contract says or outside the bounds of the contract, the scope of the contract. Let me tie this in with a simple example. In scope versus out of scope. Imagine the government wants to buy tires for their car. To replace the tires on a car, you need four tires. You have a contract that says deliver four tires. The government decides they want five tires. That's a change in scope. The second thing is who has the authority to make that change? Who has the authority to say, deliver me five tires instead of four? On the government side, it's always the contracting officer, the CO or the KO. From a project manager perspective, especially on the industry side, in many cases, I'm sort of the first line of defense when it comes to some of the scope creep issues that you're talking about and some of those initial conversations that you have between the industry and the government in terms of some of these changes they'd like to see. So I've found a few figurative landmines along the way. Uh, as I've dealt with some of those changes, and, and hopefully we'll be able to share some of those experiences here. When I listened to the previous podcast, it was really about those formal changes, which is critical to a contract and making sure that those changes are appropriately documented through ECPs and ECRs and things like that. Today, though, let's talk about what happens in that step before those that, that first conversation, or in some cases, those informal changes that the government would like to see to their contract. The engineering change proposal process is the formal way a contract is changed, but there's lots of nuances within the within the the bounds of the contract that may or may not be changes that require the contract to be changed. Before we go any farther, let me link this to the time zones. We're talking execution time zones here, and this is it's really the performance zone. This is the main, the bulk of the execution zones where the contract is being executed, where the performance is happening. When we're talking about scope creep, this is really the industry project manager's dilemma. There's a difference between the, the business objectives of the company, what's good for the company, and the project objectives, what's, what's good, what's required for that particular program to be successful. This is a good conversation, and this is something when project managers all get together you know, in a bar or sit around and talk, <laughs> this is the type of thing that we talk about. You've got the objectives for the business, and that's obviously more strategic in terms of keeping the business going and maintaining good relationships with customers. But then you've also got the objectives for the project, which is to deliver the value of the project within the cost and schedule constraints that you're given. And there's a lot of overlap between those two objectives, but there's some there is some gaps there as well. And being a project manager, a lot of times you're at that focal point of those gaps, right? Because <laughs> you're the one who's responsible for delivering the project objectives, but you're trying to deal with the rest of the uh, business objectives that may impact how you're delivering the project. Right. So from the business side, the company wants to be in the good graces of the customer, of the government. So there's always that customer relationship, customer satisfaction in the back of your mind. 
So when the government says, I want this to be a little bit different, the company has great incentive to make it a little bit different to make the customer happy. But that may drive the project into the red. It may be a catastrophic decision for the project to do that. And it may be outside the bounds of what the contract calls for. And that's what we want to talk about. How do you, how do you know the difference? Where's, where's the edge? It's very difficult on the government side to write out the requirements of exactly what you need and how you need way in advance. So the requirements may not be mature when you let the contract, especially for a long-term or complex deal. Or if the contract's going to last three, four, five years, things may change. Lord knows if you're in the IT world, in three years, what you thought you needed may be completely different from what you need three years later. So when the government asks to morph the contract a little bit to meet their current needs, the contractor is really in a tough position. Sometimes telling that customer no is very difficult from, from a business perspective, even though it's, it's very easy from a project perspective to say, nope, that's not what we signed up for. Let me give an example of how this happens. And, and this type of scope creep, at least from what I've seen, happens at every level. We're talking about at the technical level, the engineers between the government and the industry side, some of those discussions may lead to scope creep. And even at the CEO level, you get the CEO and the general in a room talking, that may lead to some scope creep issues, which would have to be, you know, we'd have to go back and make sure are folded into the contract. The example I can give as a program manager is I tend to be a very visual management kind of person. So if I'm working a project that's, let's say, an aircraft frame or a tank or something like that, I'll put in my desk a cartoonish picture of that aircraft with green and red and yellow or something like that to kind of show the status of the project. So I like to create those those helpful tools for myself just to manage the project. It may not be required by the contract, but something that I just do to help myself. So in this scenario, someone for the, from the government side may come in and see that and say, oh, that's a really good thing. Do you mind passing that along to me? So as a PM to PM sort of a courtesy, I'll kind of slide that report over to them. Sure, you can have this one. Yeah, it doesn't seem like a big deal at the time. Right. What tends to happen, though, is these things start to grow. So what starts as something that I'm just kind of sliding to my counterpart, maybe he starts putting it into his weekly report that he needs to send up to his leadership. Maybe he starts to request that it comes in at a certain frequency. He starts asking me questions about what's in the report. And now he's giving it to his boss, who may then have questions for their counterpart on my side. And it, <laughs> and all, then it all circles back. And it all circles back and comes down. So I, now I get called into my boss's office and have to answer questions about how this information got into the, the government's hands and why they're getting asked questions about a report that's not required for the contract. And she's thinking, I never saw this report. Right. So, how did we deliver this? So now I have new requirements. Where now she wants to see it two weeks early, you know. So what started <laughs> as a very simple tool that I was just using for myself has quickly become uh, a more formal report. And I like to describe it as I tossed my counterpart a snowball and I get buried in an avalanche. <laughs> that's a perfect way to describe it. When scope creep happens, I think creep is the the right way to describe it because right. it's not usually a grand leap. It, it, it's it's easy to tell when the, there's a major change to the scope. It's usually these little things that creep along. Next thing you know, you're buried under that avalanche. The point is that it all starts as very small things. So to that point, I mean, it's scope creep, it's slippery slopes. It's those types of things where they start as something very small and seems to be innocuous, right? I'm, I'm sending a small 
set aside report that I happen to do to my counterpart. seems like no big deal. But if you add up a few of those and they grow in the way that we described, all of a sudden you've got a big problem on your project. You've, you're, you're running around trying to satisfy everybody and you're doing all this work and it's taking up time and money and it's all out of scope for what's required for the contract. There's probably a formal reporter scheduled deliverable that you budgeted for that I'm going to do this. I'm going to get it reviewed internally. I'm going to deliver it on this schedule. Then there's also the informal report that you were doing for yourself that now needs that same rigor of reviews and everything needs to be accurate, perfect. If you're doing it for yourself, you might be winging it a little because you understand the the gray areas right, in your report. Exactly. Now it's got to be perfect. So suddenly it takes time. You might have to hire somebody just to manage this new reporting requirement that's not a real requirement. And so this becomes a tricky a, a tricky thing to manage. It could be really good for everyone involved if it's managed correctly, and it could get very, very bad for everyone involved if it's managed incorrectly. And it's just as frustrating for the government folks. It causes problems on their side too. This is why you need context on both sides of exactly what's required and what's not and how we're going to handle it. Managing incorrectly can cause you to overrun the contract. You're doing more work than you expected, spending more money. You're going to need more money at the end of the contract, or you're going to need to request an engineering change proposal for something that was not authorized through the proper chains of authority. Remember, on the government side, only the contracting officer can officially ask you to change something in the contract. And on the industry side, only certain people have the authority to accept a change to the contract just because the CEO and the general talked about something over dinner. Yeah, we'd like that to be different. That doesn't mean the contract is changed. Just because the industry project manager and the government program manager or contracting officer's representative, whatever you want to call them, just because they've agreed that, hey, we want to do something different, it doesn't mean that it's formally required by the contract. So when that request comes, I can provide a little bit of insight, at least into what's going on inside the mind of the program manager. (laughs) And especially that scenario that I just laid out, having gone through that a few times, you realize how important these types of conversations are and how quickly they could start to deteriorate if not handled correctly. When I get that request coming in from the government, there's a hesitation there because I want to make sure that I'm thinking through exactly what all of the, the impacts are. It's maybe not necessarily an outright no, but it maybe doesn't happen as quickly as the government was expecting. The government may have said, hey, I like that report. Can you just start sending it to me? And they you know, want it by the end of the day or the end of the week. Where on my side, there's a little bit more deliberate moves that need to be made. So when we go back to talking about the difference between the project objectives and the business objectives, when those requests come in from the government, I need to make sure that I'm properly vetting that request through my organization for people who are responsible for the project objectives, which is myself, And the business objectives for the larger company, which may be the CEO or COO or somebody along those lines who's responsible for the business objectives. And we need to huddle up and figure out how we're going to respond to this request to make sure that we're getting the proper value in return for whatever it is that we're about to provide for the government. It may not be a monetary exchange. You know, we may not need to get money in exchange for whatever report we're giving them. But it may be something else. Maybe there's something in the contract that could be relaxed or some other report that we're providing that this would now replace. And maybe we could get that out of the contract. So the point is, is that you want to make sure that you're getting some value back for anything that you're about to provide for the for the government. And then you also want to make sure that this is all happening sort of in the light and nothing's <laughs> happening, light. you know, under the table, because that will lead to bad situations as well. From the government side, there's been many times that 
there's been a requirement for a report or for something in the contract that's overcome by events, you, you just don't really need it. No one's really using it once you actually start executing the contract. That's a perfect time to trade that off for something that you didn't know that you wanted. So yeah, when we're talking about scope creep and changes, it's not always the contract price that's going to change. There's a lot of things that you can play with along the way. And I'll admit too, being a program manager, even on the industry side, I'm sympathetic to the challenges that the government has. Exactly as you said, I mean, you don't know, especially for a long, complex program, it's hard to anticipate when you're writing the contract, what you're going to want or, or what the environment is going to be years down the road. And so these types of changes happen as you progress through the execution of the contract. So I'm sympathetic <laughs> to, to those, to those. And, you know, sometimes when the government comes to me with these changes, it may seem like I'm being more difficult than I need to be because I am trying to make sure that we, we work in deliberate steps to respond to that request. Whereas the government may prefer that I just, you know, kind of slide them something under the table. So sometimes th that that's a, a conversation that needs to be carefully managed in terms of the government asking for something and, and how we respond. So how do you feel when the project manager's in your office and says, hey, just slip me that report. How do you feel when you need to say, no, I, I can't do that. That's, that's actually not in the contract. So, and it depends on the, the relationship, obviously, between, between everyone involved. And it goes back to making sure that you have built up a good relationship before you even get to that point. And if it does really become an issue, I think what you need to do is start to talk through and explain why it's so important to make sure that everything is within the contract and maybe outline a scenario where, hey, look, if I start sending you this report, this could turn bad for both of us. I'll end up having a project that's over cost and over schedule. That doesn't help you out on the government side either. So it's in both of our interests to make sure that this stuff is properly handled through the appropriate contractual Yeah, channels. the government side may not really understand that that is going to add cost. That If you do that, it's going to cost money that's not going to be able to use, be used for something else. They may need to go find more money. And if it's not a formal change, then it just looks like an overrun. It looks like you didn't manage your, your program correctly. And so, you know, going back to that example of I've got some sort of visual tool that's on my desk that somebody notices and wants to start getting, it seems like that would be a no cost change, right? Because I'm already creating it. It's already there. What's the big deal? Pass it along. But what I realized is it's not creating that tool for myself. It's creating that report for you that's going to lead to all the cost and schedule challenges, right? Because now I have to answer questions. I have to deliver it in whatever uh, frequency that you want it. I have to make sure it's properly vetted through my organization. So yeah, that, that initial report that I had that I was creating for myself, that's an easy one. It's once you start exchanging that information with the government or with anyone else, that's where the work really starts to, to kick in. We were talking before about the business objectives versus the project objectives. So from a project standpoint, it's really easy to say no to the program manager. No, that's going to cost me more. I didn't budget for it. It's not part of the scope of the contract. I'm not doing it. From a business objective standpoint, there's tremendous pressure on the industry side to make the customer happy. And making the customer happy may mean doing what they meant by the contract, not what they actually wrote in the contract. And it gets very sticky to try to pull apart. Yeah, we all know that the contract says this. We all know that this is what we now need to do to deliver what was meant by the contract. 
do we need to modify the contract or is it within the bounds of the contract to do things a little bit differently and get the end result that we need? What happens if you don't make the government customer happy, even when what they're, what will make them happy is not necessarily word for word what the contract wants? And that's an interesting point. And I think from my perspective, some of the most intense conversations that I've had surrounding these types of subjects have been those internal discussions, not necessarily even with the government or the customer. <laughs> it's me talking with my CEO or CEO, somebody who's responsible for those business objectives, because their view is, yeah, exactly that. Let's keep them happy. We need good CPARs. We want to continue the relationship. We want to open up new business opportunities with that particular office. So let's do it. But as a program manager, somebody who's graded on the performance of my project, making all of those changes and offering all of that stuff to the government is going to come at the expense of my project coming in on time and on budget. And so the where we really start to have those conversations and are internally between me and the people who are responsible for the business objectives. And I think that's a good first step. I mean, believe it or not, a lot of times where this goes wrong is that the government will ask for something at whatever level, and it'll be promised without an internal discussion. Right. Right. So let's say at the technical level, the engineers to engineers, they ask for some small additional piece of information and the engineers without talking to anybody else will start providing it. Or at the PM level, same thing. I'll get asked for a piece of information and I'll just start providing it without having that intense internal discussion of whether or not it's really worth the value that we're getting. And on the government side, it's the same thing. The The people that requested that or started looking at it and finding value in it probably don't understand that it wasn't contemplated by the contract in the beginning and it's not specifically required. So they may start asking for even more or changes to something that's not even a contract requirement. Now you got this great visual aid, but could you make it a little bit different? And then you start spending more time. This is why you were saying before, it's great to do all this in the light. It's right. great to do it with the contract in mind, bring these contracting people, the contracting officer and the contracts manager on the industry side, bring those people together, make them part of those decisions about what's happening. It's great to invite them to program meetings now and then. They might not always be able to come, but if they understand what's going on, they may be able to say, hey, that's not really in the contract. How do we get that in the contract? How do we document it? Because if you don't, down the road, people turn over. And all this stuff that was just understood between you and your counterpart, your counterparts moved on to a different role, different job, left the agency, whatever. All that stuff that was just understood that it's all good, it's all okay, is out the window. And without that documentation, it gets horribly complicated to explain why it's all good. Don't worry about it, Mr. New Contracting Officer. I want to stop for an acronym alert before I go any farther. You dropped CPARS, Contractor Performance Assessment Report. It's the formal system by which the government collects past performance information, and contractors live in fear of this. At the end of the contract, the government's rating your performance, and this goes into a database that lives forever. So if you're not making them happy, even if it's not technically within the bounds of the contracts, these things can show up in a CPAR. It can show up in your past performance then haunt you in future competitions. It haunts you as you try to win new business. So there is intense pressure to keep that customer happy. To circle back to your question of how do you say no to the customer? How do you say no to the government? My answer is that you very rarely give a hard no to anything. Everything is no, but here's how we can make it work. Or no, but let's talk about how 
I can give you the information you need. You know, you want to do it in a way that makes the customer <laughs> walking away feel good about the no that you just yeah, gave. It's them. very rare that uh, just a hardcore, you know, hand in the face, right. stop, right. no. It's rare that that's ever the right choice. So a lot of this leads into negotiations, right? You, you want to start keeping track of all of these change requests, all the scope creep discussions that you've been having. And then at the next appropriate time, when you're in the middle of negotiations, that's where you could start having these conversations with the government in terms of, hey, look, I, I know that you noticed this report and that you'd really like to get it. Let's talk about maybe relaxing what's already a formal project management report, since this will cover a lot of the same information and do those kind of trade-offs. It doesn't have to be a monetary trade-off. Right. But if it does, that's a point to say, look, I, I really need to hire someone to manage this report. So if it's a value to you, we need to talk about adding a new position to the contract, adding some dollars to the contract to satisfy this report. Because it, it may, you may not be able to give something else up in order to get th this new thing you need. I don't want to give away all my PM secrets here on the podcast, but that is a, that is something that I consider is if the government's asking me for something and just because they want it and they want to see if I'll give it to them as a no-cost change to the contract, sometimes sending it back to them as a cost change. Like, okay, if you want this report... I understand what's going to go with it. It's going to cost an extra $100,000 or whatever it is. It puts the decision back in the government's hands for how much they really want. Right. right. Is it a nice to have or am I willing to spend some money or give up something else right. to get this information? Right. So instead of trying to make those decisions on our side of the house, on the industry side, it's kind of a way to challenge back yeah. to the government and say, okay, you said you want this. How badly do you want it? This is what it's going to cost that, to put it together. That's a great technique, Dave, because it really helps them differentiate between a nice to have Ooh, I like that. I'd like to see that. And wow, I really need that. That provides value to me as the government program manager. And I'm willing to pay something for that, whether in money or whether in giving up something else. One of the other important things here too is what we talked about earlier in terms of all of this needs to be done in the light. And sometimes it may seem like you're having these conversations. The government's asking for something. You want to be a good person. You want to maintain good CPRs. You, you want to give them what they're asking for, some information on the contract. But it can lead to problems down the road, like you just talked about. People could leave, so some of those verbal agreements now become irrelevant because the people who made the verbal agreements are gone. It's good to document all of this stuff. And there's that old saying that good fences make good neighbors. I think in this case, uh, good contract discipline makes good contracting partners. I, I totally agree. If everything's going perfectly in the program, no one ever looks at the contract. It's when things go wrong that everyone starts to pull out exactly what does that statement of work say? Hey, is that clause in there or not? Turns out that auditors are incredibly unsympathetic about the verbal deals you made with the program manager who's no longer with the program. <laughs> they want to see the documentation. Again, part of the insight into my mindset as I execute these projects, and particularly when we're having these types of discussions, I always try to think of it in the context of, if this ends up in front of a third party for whatever reason, or we all have to turn over, whatever the case may be, what would somebody from the outside coming in and looking at the documentation trail between how this all played out, what would they be able to, to see happened in this exchange of scope creep? Right. And it always starts so simply, right? To, to use that mindset down to the lowest level is so hard. It, it's the right thing to do. But it's like you were saying before, Dave. You never really think that avalanche is going to happen, right? You're just lobbing snowballs back and forth, and it seems like fun. It seems like this is just the way that we manage the program. But if you try to think about those snowballs in the context of how would someone that is not involved, that does not have these relationships, how would they view the snowballs? Well, that looks a lot like an avalanche on the way, right? 
So I think the point, you know, when we go back to, so how do you proceed with these types of situations? It's not that there's no hard and fast rules to any of this, right? When the government makes government makes those requests or the government or the customer makes those requests, you have to just be alert. So when this, when these start, when we start having some of these conversations, the hairs on the back of my neck start to stand up and I start to become more aware of what's happening because what seems like a very small thing up front could lead to disaster down the road on your project. Scope creep is an important concept to understand because adhering to exactly what the contract requires is really the fair thing for both sides. One side, government says, I want this, this way. Contractor says, I will do that for this much money in this much time. That's all that really can be expected of both sides. But that's not how the world usually works. Like we talked about, contractors are under tremendous pressure to make the customer, the government, happy at all costs because it matters. Past performance is a part of almost every future competition that you're involved in. So having that documented that you made them happy, regardless of the exact circumstances of the contract, it matters. Coming from my my government background, the government is sometimes wary when the contractor is telling that that everything that they ask for is a change. The government's afraid that, hey, the contractor underbid this, and now they're trying to get well. You know, they, they had a get well plan when they came in. They, I've heard that term a lot. <laughs> they underbid the original program because they knew that there were things that were going to be left out, and there's ways they could stick it to the government. And I got to say, that takes a lot of time and energy to plan all that out in advance. I'm not saying that the government's fears are unfounded. I know it It, it happens. The reason that we talk about it as a get well plan is it happens. But most companies don't have the energy to plan that far ahead. Maybe some of the largest contractors have a have an evil plan to to underbid and they know exactly how they're going to get well. I think it's more likely that both on the government side and the industry side that the requirements weren't quite as well understood as they thought when the program began. And depending on the communication and the context shared, it may appear that everything is I need more money for this. I and and the government thinks, uh, oh, they're just trying to get well. I don't think that's usually the case. I mean, I've never been a part of any sort of formal get well plan. Now there is an assumption with certain types of contracts, firm fixed price, for example, that something maybe may have been missed in the contract that we'll have to deal with later. But it's never part of a formal strategy that we're putting in place to try to I guess, get well off of the, off of the government at a later date. Right. That's like part of the, the Dr. Nefario plan, right? <laughs> and to your point, I mean, it's not to say it doesn't happen. Right. <laughs> I but, haven't seen it in my experience. But. And, and really, neither, neither have I. So to wrap this up, Dave, what we're trying to say here is if you don't pay attention to scope creep, if there's not communication, if there's not context, if these things aren't documented, both sides end up unhappy. From the industry side, this could be catastrophic. It's not just, hey, we've, we've run this program at a loss. Depending on the scale of the program in comparison to the size of the company, the company could go out of business. This could be a bankruptcy situation. At a minimum, you could get fired as the program manager if you overrun your program trying to make the customer happy. And for sure, if you don't keep the customer happy, you're going to get poor past performance ratings in the future, and it's going to be harder to get new business. So there's a big impact on the industry side. And on the government side, if you're not paying attention to these scope creep issues, 
you could actually fail to support the mission. You could fail to deliver for the taxpayers whatever you're trying to do. And we could be talking about loss of life here in extreme situations if, if the contract doesn't perform as it's supposed to. We've also, we've had previous podcasts where we talked about unauthorized commitments and ratifications. It's for sure a paperwork mess if the contractor agrees to do something outside the scope of the contract that wasn't authorized by the proper authority, meaning the contracting officer. So sure, sure to be bureaucratic nightmare. And on the government side, people get fired too. Making an unauthorized commitment, asking the contractor to do more than the contract calls for when you don't have money for it, turns out that's a pretty bad thing on the government side and people can lose their jobs. There's a million other things that we could talk about when it comes to scope creep and statements of work and changes and contractor government relationships, but this is a really good place to stop before we get any deeper. Thanks for dropping by today, Dave. Thanks, Paul. It was a great topic. And like you said, there's a lot of different directions that this could go, but it's an interesting one and and I think important in the world of federal government contracting. Yep. We'll circle back to some more of the points on this on a future conversation between us. One last thing before we go. If you want to get in contact with Dave, how would they do that? So the best way is on LinkedIn. And like I said last time I was here, believe it or not, there's a couple of David Bartlows on LinkedIn. So I'm David E. Bartlow, and you'll be able to find me there on LinkedIn. Okay, that's it for this episode of the Contracting Officer Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, help us spread the word and tell a friend. Thanks for joining us today.